Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. All right, that music kind of got somebody tapping some toes, huh? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing okay? Awesome. Well, it's great to be in the house of the Lord again. For those watching online, we're grateful for you, and thanks for joining us and tuning in. Uh, really, we are grateful, and we really want to connect with you somehow, some way. So in the comment box, go ahead and uh, jot down some prayer requests, if you would like, and uh, where you're watching from. That's another great thing, and so we want to reach out to you, and you can text that number, uh, see our guest to 94000, and we'll have somebody connect with you uh, here soon. So again, we're starting a new series this morning entitled Blueprint, and so we're going to talk about, for the next five or six weeks, we'll be talking about God's design for your family and for the family. Now, I must preface by saying this, that this I will hit on uh, singleness as well, okay? I know some people in the room are already going, well, I'm tuning out. Some online, you've already probably clicked off, and you didn't hear me say that. But, um, but we want to hit on the reality of relationships. Yes, God's ordained unit when it comes to uh, the husband and wife, but then also when it comes to even your singleness. And, and by the way, these principles, as we're going to journey, we're going to talk about today is just really God's design for um, the family and for the household, his, his original idea. We're going to talk about the redemptive plan within marriage. We're going to talk about, yes, marriage has a bullseye on it. We're going to hit on all these things this morning. But as weeks progress, we're going to actually begin to hit on communication. See, it doesn't matter if you're married or not. We all need better communication. Amen. Okay, so then uh, communication, what about forgiveness? Uh, what about we're going to hit on prodigals in this series? Lord, help me, I have a prodigal. So we're going to deal with that. And then that's going to, you say, well, I don't have a prodigal. Well, it's going to help you know how to pray for people that actually have a prodigal. You see, it's going to all intertwine. And then sacrificial love will be also on this, um, in this series. So I'm excited, as you can't tell. Uh, I'm excited I didn't even got to the intro. Amen. I'm just ready to talk about families and the unit. And I must say this, the healthier the families, as I talk about with the staff, the healthier the staff, the healthier the church. I really believe this is the principle. This is also a true biblical uh, idea and concept that we'll see from Scripture this morning, Genesis chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. But um, the healthier the family, the healthier the church, the healthier the church, the ripple effect goes on and on and on and on. Now, I must say this, you know, uh, Genesis chapter 2, excuse me. I must say this, that um, you may say, well, Marcus, I'm here this morning, and um, maybe my spouse has gone on. God has a plan for you. Y'all hear me say this? God has a plan for you. You may be in here and you're, you're still single, or uh, God has a plan for you. And I'm going to hit on that just a little bit. You may be in here and um, maybe just, again, a widow or widower, and you just wonder, okay, God, what do you have for me in this season of life? Well, God has something for you as well. It's been amazing. I mean, a couple of Sunday, well, let's see, last Tuesday, or last, excuse me, last Saturday, we had, um, Friday and Saturday, we had a, a marriage conference, and it was, you know, it was phenomenal. How many of you guys were actually a part of that? Anybody in the room? Okay, great. For those that were there, I mean, it was really good, good information. Uh, it's kind of hard to really study and, and do your exegetical work after uh, attending that deal. So you're not still in notes. Amen. It was so good. Um, but I will pull in some information because the majority of our congregation was not a part of that. But again, God's, God's word lays it out anyway. So Genesis chapter 2. 
Now, the reason we're starting there, yes, I know Jesus talked about marriage, but Jesus would also underscore, he would actually um, quote this passage and these passages that we're going to read this morning, starting with the Genesis of God's blueprint for the family. So look at Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. We're going to read. It says this, now Moses is the writer. What a task Moses had, right? Good Lord, he had to be in tune. Then the Lord God said, after the seventh day, the Lord rested. The Lord surveyed the land, and the text says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, I know this is very uh, cliche when it comes to marriage, this passage, but there's some other deeper implications in here that we must see. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Let me just make two thoughts. Um, God gave a man or men, if you will, a job before the fall. You must see this. This doesn't naturally jump off the pages for some people, but we must see this. We had responsibility before the fall. Two, you also see the perfection, the perfected state that mankind was in, so much so that the Lord will give Adam this, this responsibility and say, go ahead and name all the animals. Hey, and by the way, whatever you name them, um, that's, that'll be their name forever. Now, I'm just saying this, like, just can you imagine? Come go with me. I don't... I just want to see this in my, my own mind, but a giraffe, this long neck thing coming at you like this, just kind of like coming at you like this. And Adam just being in this perfected state, having taken no zoology, he looks at the deal and goes, oh, that's a giraffe. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, just come going. I think we romanticize the Bible, but look at the perfective, the perfected state of right here in our text. You can name any other animal, go there, right? And the burp of the frog and all this other great stuff, but so... Adam named every single one. Verse, uh, let's continue. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So, I love how the Lord always has a plan. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up, uh, its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to him. That's a great line. I underlined this one in my Bible. Um, stop, stop looking, if you will, if you're single in the room, stop looking, stop looking, stop looking. The Bible says that he was in a submissive place, a submissive place. God put him in this, this sleep, if you will. He was in a submitted, submitted place and God brought the spouse to him. Isn't that great? He didn't have to go look. And let me just make another note. We'll dive into our, I, I, actually, I just want to just keep going. This is, this is so great, man. You know, I studied this in Hebrew, um, this book, Genesis, and we, the first semester of this deal, we studied Genesis with our professor, Dr. Wexler, and um, we couldn't get out of chapter two and three. We stayed in there for like months. It was so rich. I mean, it was absolutely, it was absolutely rich. And so let me just say this. You don't have to go looking for what God has already planned for you. Submit to his will, submit to uh, what he has for you, right, in that moment, and God will bring God will bring his plan to you. I'm not saying we sit on our hands and all that stuff, but that's other theories and arguments there when it comes to 
How do I know this is the right one? We're going to dispel that myth in this series as well. But he goes on to say this. Then the man said, this, is at, this at last is my, the bone of my bone. Now, who told Adam what bone was? I want us to be able to see the perfect, the, the, the fact that there was no sin in the picture and how Adam just knew because of the perfected state that he was in. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We shall call her woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, I'm not just talking about sex here, okay? Someone's going to get all squirmy right now. I'm not just talking about sex, but in essence, become one flesh. One flesh, yes, that is a fruit of a marriage or a healthy marriage. Yes, it is. But when you come to the marriage, it's also beyond that. You and I, we bring 100%, 100%. We become literally one, one unit, one unit. Why is this important? And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here's why. Some of us, we're still trying to, God is trying to, um, even beyond having been married 10 plus years or whatever the case may be in the room. But sometimes we allow our in-laws and our other family members or people around us dictate what God is trying to create this new entity. In other words, God is trying to start something new here and we're allowing everybody else and their mama speak into our, our marriage. And here the text is saying, I must say this, not saying we don't listen to them, I'm not saying that, but we got to filter what they say in regards to what God has already promised and laid out for us. Yeah, we've got a couple of amens on that. Those are the amens where it's like, I mean, your, your in-laws, see? See, pastor talking about, pastor talking about your in-laws right there. That, that's your side of the family, right? I know, I'm no fool, amen. So out of the gate, let's, let's look at this this way. Out of the gate, here it is. Marriage is God's sovereign idea. It's the first thought. And we're going to talk about our culture, how the culture is trying to redefine marriage, and, and just some stats in regards to father, fatherlessness within the homes throughout the years. But out of the gate, we see out of our text right here that marriage is God's sovereign idea. So that means this, it also underscores, since it's God's idea, it also underscores this, that it is, he's the origin of it. It starts with him, so therefore, um, he's the standard. And so, yes, the standard for us, because of the fall now, it seems even higher. Like, man, I got to, man, husbands, man, right, right? I have to love my wife as Christ loved the church. That's a high standard. Anybody in the, in the room with me agree with that? But here's the good thing. If it's God's standard... Uh Uh-oh. And God is good. That means the standard is what? The standard is good. That God is trying to establish something extraordinarily great. And this is why this series is so important for you and I. Going forward as a church, as we see more families come through the doors here at Crossroads, we desire to have a, a family ministry and a family discipleship rubric for every single family. So singer adult, it doesn't matter. How do, I, how do I be a better grandparent to my, my grandchildren? So for younger parents, those single, divorce, it's amazing. It, behind the scenes, we're talking about all these things. How do we, how do we, get, how do we target, uh, not necessarily target, that sounds bad, but how do we minister to the single adult demographic within our church, which is a real reality? How do we minister and pour gas on the widow ministry in, our, in the church today? I mean, these are conversations we're having right now. But we're talking about God's standard. 
From the outset of the offset, if you will, the foundation of marriage is found in this passage. We see that Adam and Eve were to reflect the triune image of God in unity in the midst of diversity. Now, I'm going to talk about what that means, obviously the different roles. God created marriage. And so humanity, based off of this text, and we'll look into Genesis 3 a little bit, but based off our text this morning, humanity is to be, or even within marriage, a mirror. And this mirror is called to reproduce and reflect the beauty of the triune God, the harmony within the Trinity. You say, Marcus, that's a high task. Yes, I understand it is. But this is the, see, I think we have such a, a cotton candy approach to marriage in our culture today. It's more contract-driven versus covenant-driven. And God is saying there's a greater purpose for marriage. There's a deeper theological purpose for marriage. And so for you and I, so we see this in our text. The goal of marriage is to reflect God through the advancement of his kingdom on earth. Verse 18 says that the Lord saw that it was not good. It was, it was not good for man to be by himself. It was not good. Why? Now, there's different arguments here, but I want to give you a couple of Hebrew words. Normally, I don't do this, but I, I think it's important that you understand these words so that we can understand what the Lord is doing right here in the blueprint of marriage kicking off in our Bible. Well, the first part is, this word is Ezar Kenego. Ezar Kenego. The first part, Ezar, means a helper, not just a helper like, hey, um, you know, come alongside and help me do this. No, it, it means to supply what's lacking. So God in his sovereignty, this being marriage, being God's sovereign idea, understood that looking at man, that there was, some, there was something lacking within him, even yet, catch this, in the perfected state that he was in. God can see, based off the other animals and having companionship, God was able to look at this and say, there's something missing, there's something lacking, and this is what I, that jumped off the page from the marriage series I thought was extraordinary. He said, and you know, this is some truth to this, I don't think it's all this, but he said um, that what was lacking is Adam didn't have someone to sacrificially love. Have you ever thought about that? Like Adam didn't have someone to really sacrificially love like the Trinity does within the Trinity. So that means there was something lacking. And I love it because God always has a plan. The connect go, the back end of it, it means to be one that's alike mankind but different. So that means not just the plumbing, okay? Some of y'all didn't get that, amen, that's fine. Y'all like, man, this dude here, man, we're going to be talking about all types of stuff. And yes, we have the Bible talk about it, we're going to talk about it. Amen, right? I didn't make it. I didn't make it. Okay? So let's go on and have lunch and say, well, pastor stuck to the text. But not just, not just plumbing. Okay? Not just the plumbing. In regards to equal, I have some other notes here I want to make sure I catch. Equal in salvation or the salvific uh, approach to salvation. So equal in salvation not as if the lady has a lesser salvation than man. That's not, no, no, the Bible doesn't teach that. So equal in salvation, status, worth, significance, both man and woman are equal in that regard. Now, but when it comes to, there's some slight differences when it comes to, let's say, um, functionality. Now, I'm going to tell you this right off the bat, Mandy is better at being a woman than I am. Amen. I mean, uh, why am I going to try to go act? No, 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 this is how God wired it. 
So now how God wired it. So we see in our text here that God sovereignly said there's something missing, even in a perfected state, knowing he had a plan already. He was going to bring this marriage unit to um, Adam. Adam, Eve, now what I want to do is I want you guys as a unit to be a, ref- a mirror or a reflection of me and the Trinity to the rest of the world. Now, we, ought to, we, we know this. God is a God of order. 1 Corinthians 11, 2 gives us this order, and in essence saying that um, Christ is the head of, obviously, the household, and then, um, then man, then woman, and then Christ submits to the Father, Paul writes. So we see God is a God of order. I'm trying to give us a theological rubric and, and foundation for what it means for God's um, sovereign blueprint when it comes to marriage. Now, understand this. Yes, there are differences in the midst of marriage, and that's a good thing. Without order, there's chaos. Have you ever thought about this? Without, without order, there's literally chaos. And I'm going to get in our context where we live today right now, which is why Satan continually tries to stir up things up in marriage. You're going to see this in Genesis 3 in just a little bit, but he's always trying to stir up stuff in the marriage, always trying to stir up something within the marriage. So whether you've been married 40, uh, 50 plus years, whether um, a couple months, whether a couple weeks, even if you're single, God wants to cause you to think otherwise. In other words, he wants you and I to think that we don't need him. We can function without him. God, we don't need your help wherever we're at, whether single or even married. So as long as chaos reigns, we, have, we can never walk into or move into a place of order, peace, harmony, or even progress. And here's two school of thoughts out there in our culture today. Nothing new, but it's been around for many years. Complementarianism. So you have these two, complementarianism and egalitarianism. Complementarianism is basically this in the school of thought and theology. We got to walk through this as we look at our text today. Basically means this, that it restricts the serving women, serving in certain leadership roles, instead calls um, them to serve in another equal role in other ways, but um, complimenting the husband, if you will. So I know it sounds complicated. Yes, I know. But remember, it's not about salvific or even um, being in the image of God. It's not about that. So this is complementarianism. Now, there is some school of thought now that said there's a soft complementarianism, uh, complementarianism type of approach. So it's more soft. It's not so staunch. So here you will say, well, Marcus, what do you mean here? Well, I mean, yes, um, the office of a pastor is for, is for a male. Just based on scripture, I can't make that up. I'm not going to try to make that up. Why would I try to change 1 Timothy chapter 3, talking about the office of um, an overseer, presbyteros. It's in the masculine form. I don't have the privilege or the privy to actually go in there and change the original language. None of us can do that. Though I know mankind, and we're going to look at this, how we want to distort and say, God, yes, we know this is your sovereign idea. This is your divine order. Man, see, mankind, we love options. Anybody agree with me in the room? We love options. So, um, yes, Lord, we know you said to do it this way, but guess what? We're going to try to do it this way. And we'll see that in just a little bit. Egalitarianism is basically this, no biblical gender-based restrictions on ministry or even in the household. Men and women are interchangeable. Just within society. That's egalitarian, very loose, a very loose approach. And so we notice right here, that God's design is for man to lead. Now, we're going to lean into this in the days ahead. We have some great lay men leading our men's ministry right now. Wade Hopkins, Ted Price, and Jay Edwards. And now we have Josh Steckel. He's going to be kind of giving some, some directives, if you will, and coming alongside of them from a pastoral standpoint. 
and helping them, but we have to lean back into the reality of the fact that God, yes, God has called man, man first to lead. Well, our culture is trying to do something different. When it comes to genders, we're going to have another series on the back end, uh, let's see, 2022, called Christ and Culture, and we'll deal with some of these things. We have to talk about it. Y'all say, man, oh, pastor, here you go meddling. No, 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 we have to deal with this. I've said this over and over again, and by God's grace, may this be the truth. We're going to stand on biblical truth. If we're, hey, come on. We may be on an island. We may be on an island when it comes to Bible preaching churches, but Lord, by God's grace, may we stand on that island full of confidence in the word of God. Why? Because God is alive. The word still works. God is still in the business of saving people. And yes, and I must say this too. You know what? What he said is going to happen. And so why would we try to change what a sovereign, eternal God has already purposed to happen? Why would we try to step in in time and try to change an eternal word? It's, it's idiotic. So we're going to stand. We're going to stand on the word of God. Let the Spirit of God work through in a life this church. And so, but this culture, I mean, genders, right? So man and man now can, can shack up. Ladies can, can shack up. And then you got all these other dynamics taken within um, gender roles in our culture. Boy, I may get slammed on this, but this is the reality. The biblical picture of God's unit is man and uh, is woman. And by the way, marriage is a gift. Marriage is a gift. Yes, it's a gift. It's not for us to worship our spouse, but to worship God because of what he's put us in. Okay, so that means um, it's a gift. Yes, it's a gift. You say, well, man, I don't think this morning, man, my spouse was going at it. How is that a gift, pastor? Well, it's still a gift. Every good and perfect thing comes from who? Comes from who? According to James. Comes from the Lord. So his standard is high. It's a good standard. We know God is good. So if God is good, I'm doing basic, just theological rubric here. If God is good, that means his standard is pure and it is good. So that means it's a gift. So that means, yes, the confines of marriage, having sex within marriage, that's a good thing. Some of y'all go, well, man, pastor, man, I mean, and by the way, don't get married to have sex. If you're young in here, it just, you're, don't get married just to have sex. Because there'll be some off seasons. Hey, Amen. Anybody in the room with me? Y'all see, oh, Pastor, you, I'm just, guys, you see, I'm glad y'all are real humans. (laughs) But that's not the reason in which you get married. You see, it's a gift. Yes, marriage is a gift, but I also want to say this, singleness, singleness, singleness is a gift as well. For somebody in the room, you're saying, man, oh, man, what do you mean, Pat? Oh, no, singleness is a real gift. It's a gift from the Lord. It's a gift. And by the way, if singleness is a gift from the Lord, we see this in Scripture in 1 Corinthians. If it is a gift from God, the same God who created marriage, yes, he also gifts some to be single. That means singleness is not inferior to marriage. Nor is singleness uh, second class. Y'all with me on this? And so what we want to is we want to try our best as a staff, as leadership, to have a robust, a robust singles ministry within a church. Not a meat market, amen. But we want to have a singles ministry to where people can discover their God-given design and blueprint, even in the context of being single for the kingdom of God. Well, you see the purpose right here. 
in verses 23 and 25 is that we shall leave. He says we shall, we shall leave, we shall leave. Or 23 through 25, excuse me. Therefore a man shall, look at verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. I mean cling, cling to, and they shall become one flesh. Now again, I talked about earlier that this is not just talking about intimacy, but it's talking about uh, as becoming unified as one flesh, 100% together. You see, the foundation of civilization is the family. Some of y'all don't know that. Some of us think it's government. Some of us think it's other things. In God's kingdom, how God views it, this is the beginning. That's why we're starting in Genesis. Here it is. God says, I want the family to be the barometer on the health of the culture. So that means that the foundation of civilization is the family, and the foundation of the family is it's the marriage. Therefore, the destruction of marriage naturally results in the destruction of the culture, which is why it is critical that we going forward, we strengthen our marriages and the families and even help people that are single discover God's gifting and providential um, um, support, if you will, within singleness that we make sure people walk in their biblical identity. But here's some misunderstandings about marriage. You ready for this? As we look at this whole leave and cleave, here's some, here's some misunderstanding. My spouse will meet all my needs. I mean, this is just natural things. I'm just going to blow through this list real quick. Um, your spouse was never created to carry that load. Only the Lord, only Jesus can, can ultimately satisfy. They will disappoint you. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Your spouse will disappoint you. Some of y'all are like, oh, snap. Some of y'all already know they've been married 50 some odd years. So you disappoint me every single day, right? <laughs> You're just a disappointment. No, don't say that. Don't say that. Uh, but but, but we, we will. I will. I let Mandy down. I let Mandy down, and, and yes, she lets me down. And so therefore, in marriage, we have to make sure, yes, it's a gift, but when we function in the, the blueprint and how it's supposed to work, yes, Lord, we know that you're called us to be one unit in unison together, to be in harmony, one flesh, but at the same time, Lord, we need you in the center of it. If not, if you're not in the center of it, it's going to be a hot mess. What about this one? There's this myth or idea that I, if I meet the right one, they will complete me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know um, Jerry Maguire, that movie Jerry Maguire? I, I wasn't going to show the clip, but I was told in preaching classes, don't show movie clips, right? So it's kind of a cheesy thing to do, so I'm not going to do it. I listened to my professor. Thank you, Prof. Um, almost 10, 12 years later. So anyway, in this, this, this clip where Jerry Maguire is like, you know, he's, he realizes that, I forget her name. What's her name? Anybody know? What is it? Renee? Renee? Oh, I know it's Renee Zellweger. I know that's, but, but what's her name? What's the character's name? Nobody knows. Okay, that's good. So the character in Jerry Maguire, the female character, uh, you know, she, she runs off. Something happens. There's a, a drift. There's a rift. There's a, there's a there's, um, separation. And so Jerry realizes, he realizes that, man, maybe if I'm back with her, that, man, she's going she's gonna to meet and fulfill all of my needs. I'm, when I'm back with her, she's going to complete me completely. And he says, you complete me, right? That, that famous scene. Dorothy. Thank you. Okay, good. My man looked it up on Google. Whenever, <laughs> whenever in doubt, go to Google University. Amen. So thank you, my man. Appreciate it, brother. But we know that's a myth. The only person, there is a God-sized hole in every single man, man, woman, boy, and girl. The only 
way that that hole is filled is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Literally, that's the only way. We will always be desiring something else, but until Jesus steps in and be the filler that he's designed to be from the beginning, we're going to look at this bull print, this bullseye on our lives and our marriages in just a little bit. But the point is, Jesus has to be in the middle. He has to be in the middle. What about this one? Um, when I get married, they're going to they're gonna meet, they're going to make me happy all the time. It's going to be Disneyland every single day. Disney World every single day. No, 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 not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Sorry. Some of y'all go to lunch and say, man, you hear what pastor said? Why hadn't this been? And by the way, if you're not arguing, if you don't have um, disputes or disagreements, something is wrong. I hear families say, oh, we never argue. Well, I mean, I'm not saying you're throwing pots and pans at each other. I'm not saying that. But there will be, because really marriage is two sinners coming together under the banner of the gospel, uh, still desiring to be unified by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you still have differences, you still have um, ways, maybe parenting, bringing up, maybe um, just how marriage ought to function. Well, the idea is that they won't make you happy. Marriage is not about your happiness. Marriage is literally about your holiness. And God said, Marcus, I want you to be holy, so I'm going to give you all girls. (laughs) Literally. Boy, I'm in a sanctification lab every day. Amen. What about this one? Here's one. This even goes with leadership in churches and maybe your company. I can change the person. I can change. Oh, just give it time. I can change them. And then you start walking into what's called manipulation. If you're not careful. So I can change them, though. I can change them. If he doesn't wash dishes, he, I mean, he may... Um, you know, just have a cereal bowl and just put the bowl in the sink. And, and, and over time, he'll, he'll get it out. Well, I'm going to tell you what. If he was putting cereal bowls in the sink before y'all got married, he's going to be putting cereal bowls in the sink after you get married. That's an easy illustration, but y'all get, what I'm, y'all get what I'm saying. Well, if the Lord is not doing it, if the Lord is not really working in in our lives, this is a God thing. This is God's design. And we see in Genesis chapter 3, we know this. The next thought is there's a bullseye on biblical marriages. I'm going to wrap up this in the next 10 minutes. It's a, there's literally a bullseye on marriage. And, and the question is, like, why? Again, we see that we ought to be, man and woman, in this, this uh, unified covenant um, union. It should be a mirror and a reflection of something greater. Okay, the gospel, yes, the trinity, if you will. But there's a serious bullseye. And if the Holy Spirit, if you and I are not allowing the Holy Spirit to move and work in our members, in our heart, I love what the marriage conference tandem said. One of the first lines, fill in the blank, is um, marriage problems is always starts with it's a heart problem. Like realizing that there's something in my heart. It's not me pointing my finger at my spouse saying, you are the issue. There's something on the inside. There's something deeper within me that I need to recognize and submit to the gospel, if you will. Submit to the Lord and allow him to change it so that now I can be a better spouse for my spouse. Well, marriages are under attack. Look at Genesis 3.15. Here's the first preaching of the gospel. Y'all know this. Great fall. I don't have to walk through that. I will point out a couple things in regards to... Um, verses 1 through 14, but 15 says this in Genesis 3, I will put enmity, if you will, between you and the woman. All right? He goes, and between your offspring and her offspring. He's talking to the enemy. He's talking to the serpent. Then he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Some translations say it different. You shall crush 
or he shall crush your head. So in other words, when Jesus died on the cross, that was the fulfillment of this text right here, the first preaching of the gospel right here. Even in Genesis 3, we see God is going to redeem his redemptive plan salvifically for mankind, restoring the relationship, but also restoring the relationship here. You say, Marcus, help me see that. Well, you'll see it in just a little bit in verse 21. So we see this first preaching of the gospel. And the enemy is going to think once Jesus dies that, that he, he won. But all he's doing is really just bruising the heel. It's the picture. So why is marriage under attack? You know, divorce rate in the church. I mean, this, I was reading stats. It's actually beginning to change. And this is how it's changing. It's changing in this regard. Those that are nominal Christians, the divorce rate are high. But those that are faithful in the word regularly, plugged into the life of the church, they're serving, they're sharing their faith, they're in a community, a life group in that fashion. Those marriages, yes, they may get rocky, but those marriages, the percentage is that they stay in the game. So nominal, yes, oh, I just wear the, I wave the, the banner, if you will, of Christianity, but I'm not really plugged into the life of the body of Christ, then yes, this percentage is really high. And the enemy wants to attack this. Notice that the enemy, starting out in, in chapter 3, he, 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 he really, God gave the command to Adam first. Y'all know this. Some of y'all may not, but do not eat from this tree. He talks to Adam first. So again, he gives the responsibility to Adam. You see this leadership piece. But notice, the serpent comes in and goes straight to the woman. There's a bullseye on your marriage. There's a bullseye on my marriage. There's a bullseye on your life if you're single. You don't even have to be married. There's a bullseye. Marcus, how do you know? Well, read John 10 and 10. The Bible declares this, that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his mission. And by the way, that mission never changes. It never changes. But Jesus flips the token over in that same text that says, but I came, that they may have life, and that life what? More abundantly. So, but it's interesting that the enemy would come to the woman. There's many arguments in regards to where was Adam at this time? Was he over here watering the grass? No, well, the Bible says that he, it was so, such a perfect state that, that the ground, the, the, the garden was watered with the mist from the ground. So, I mean, well, he wasn't watering grass, or was he far off, or was he around the corner? No, I mean, many, many would think, we don't know, we weren't, in the, we weren't in the garden, but many would think that he was right there. There's this idea that if the enemy knows, if he can come in between the man and the woman, he has some dynamite. Why? Because, again, this is this picture between man and woman being united, a picture of something greater, the gospel, Jesus and his church, New Testament, but also this unified harmony as within the triune God that God wants us to experience within the, the marriage unit and covenant. But now the enemy knows this. He knows this, so now he's going to try to attack the very thing that's dear to God's heart. He's going to attack marriage, and I want you to see this. Notice that the enemy didn't come to Adam or tempt uh, anything until Eve hit the picture. Y'all see this? Like nothing, the enemy was like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. He was lurking somewhere. But he really didn't put everything into effect until Eve hit the picture. Now, I want to, you must see this in chapters 1 and 2. The Lord, and we're going to land a plane. The Lord calls himself, Moses uses this terminology, uh, Elohim Yahweh or Yahweh Elohim. So you look at chapter 1. He says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Right, so he's creator God. Chapter 1, creator God, creator God, creator God. He's creator. He's, he's, he's the boss. 
You see this. And then we get to um, the latter portion in, in chapter 2. You start seeing, then the Lord God, then the Lord God. Even in our text starting off today in chapter 2 and verse 18. Then the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Why is that important? He describes himself. Here's my name, uh, my commercial name, if you want to call it that. Elohim, I'm creator, I'm the boss. This is why marriage is God's sovereign idea. Because he's the creator, the origin of, of what we see today. But not only that, we see the shift in names and how he describes himself to mankind, how he wants us to know him is Lord, Elohim, but then God. Why is that important? Well, it's his covenantal, relational um, nature and character towards mankind. Y'all see this? So he's not some distant God out there, but he's also very, very close and relational with you and I. So it's also a great picture, hear me say this, of God being close in your marriage. You say, Marcus, how do you know that? Well, Jesus' first miracle was where? At what? I think sometimes we just take that for granted. Do you know this is a picture of God, Jesus himself, God in flesh, desiring to um, be in a picture of him providing for the marriage unit? Literally. He said, oh, you invite me? I'm going to come. Why? Because I support this. I support this. Well, the issue is now we know the enemy. We get to chapter 3. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast, verse 1, of the field that the Lord God had made. Notice the shift. He said to the woman, did who? God. Did Elohim? Oh, he sovereignly. Not sovereignly. The enemy not sovereign. Let me back up. He purposefully drops Yahweh. Why is that important when it comes to marriage? Because the enemy is okay with you having a, a distant theology about just who God is. He doesn't want you to have an intimate walk with the Lord, man and woman. And typically, that's not always the case. I don't want to overgeneralize here, but men, typically, uh, ladies are more spiritual than we are. We see this with our, our women's ministry on Wednesday mornings. We see a bunch of ladies in Bible study. We see this in Wednesday nights. We see, and then men, it's like pulling teeth. Why is that? Man, what, what, why do we love to hide? We think we have it all together. Can I just stay here for a little bit? We think we have it all together. We don't need God. We're self-sufficient. We're self-sustaining. We know more than God. We know better than God. We can fix it. Come on, y'all. Anybody in the house? We can fix it. Give me some duct tape and a couple things. I got this, God. No, let me just say this. No, you do not. You can't be a good husband without the help of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can't be a, a good father without submitting to the Spirit of God in your life. You can't even be a, a good, upright um, citizen or even a good employee without the Spirit of God literally governing your life. And we, we, men, hear me say this. We need his help. So I'm going to say this, and I'm going to drop it like it's hot once. Men. So whether older, all the way down to younger, we are called to lead the charge, not just in the home, but also in the church. You hear me say this? Some of y'all sweating like the dude on the movie Airplane. Y'all remember that one scene? Profusely sweating. Some of y'all right now, but you know what? This is God's design. And when we walk in God's design, he always provides. So don't hide anymore. So I, I wrote some stats down. Why is the enemy, he, he's so after our marriages. He's so after our marriages. He's so after our marriages. Well, here's the deal. Satan doesn't want your marriage to make it. He doesn't want it to make it. No, no, no. He wants y'all to be 
against each other. It's like watching my girls play um, soccer, especially like little Naomi. She plays soccer. It's the cutest thing, man. They can be playing. They just they fall over the ball, and it's just the cutest thing. Five-year-olds playing soccer is adorable. I mean, playing soccer, boom, boom, kicking the ball, and you know, airplane goes by. Oh, airplane. Ooh. Like, no, 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 no. Focus. Hey, get back to the game. No, no, focus. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh, flower. Ooh. Right? No, 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 no. Forget the flower. Hey, come on, come on. I'll take the flower. Give me the flower. I'll put it in my back pocket. No, no, forget that. Or this other phenomenon takes place when they're playing soccer. It's when everybody on their team, they all get around the ball and they fight over this, the ball. The, the one ball, the one ball. They all fight over the one ball. And you hear this unanimous chant from the side from parents. Same team, same team, same team, same team, same team. And here's what the Lord wants us to know. The Holy Spirit in your walk with your spouse. He's yelling, he's yelling at you guys starting today. We're going to deal with conflict. We're going to deal with all this stuff as this series progresses. But he's yelling at you guys through the word of God. Same team. Same team. So fatherlessness in our culture. Give me, give me three more minutes. 60, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherlessness in homes. Okay, 90% of homelessness and runaway children are a direct result from fatherlessness in the homes. That's 32 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. You must see there is a connection here. And this is why the enemy doesn't want marriages to happen. Because whoever owns the home, Satan knows if I divide, whatever he divides, he can control. Whatever he divides, he can control. And I must say this, that, that whoever owns the home, as Tony Evans would say, whoever owns the home owns the future. So we see why there's this, this, this pandemic, if you will, in regards to fatherlessness and the attack and the bullseye upon marriages. Well, here it is. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. Ten times the average. Ten times the average. Daughters of single parents without a father involved um, are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers. Hear this stat. 711% more likely to have children as a teenager. 711% of the population. I think y'all get the picture. There's 43% of U.S. children right now living without their father, their father present. It's amazing because even in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, we see God's children, Adam and Eve, disobey him, turn their back on him. God knows what it's like to have a prodigal. He's the first parent. And you see his children say, ah, and this is God. We're going to deal with that on the back end. But God's blueprint for this deal is beautiful. It's salvific in nature. We see this in Genesis 3.21. Look at this last verse and we're done. And the Lord God, after he had already made this great declaration and prophecy in verse 15, he also talks about how the lady is going to be, you know, this, there's going to be this battle and you should, you know, she's going to be for her husband, not in a sense, or she, you shall want to rule over your husband, verse 16. Let me just read this real quick. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, I know that language sounds very interesting, but there's this, this, now there's this tension. God knows that 
Who, who's right? Who's, who's the head? Who, who makes the decisions? This is dynamic, and God knows this. And so how God is going to eradicate that and hopefully get us back to a biblical unit, a biblical function and blueprint of how the marriage ought to look and the marriage home, we see it even starting right here in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam. Ben, y'all can come on up right now. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins. Y'all see this? You see redemption. You literally see salvation happening in the text. God making provision for you and I. Salvifically, so for our salvation, your salvation, my redemption, your redemption, but also for mankind. But he says, and not only garments of skin, he says, and he clothed them. Now, mind you, they were naked before the fall. They were okay with that. They were not without shame and guilt. They were just walking around, just chilling. Sin entered the picture, and many scholars would say they, they realized that they realized, in, in essence, um, that there's this guilt. It's like, I got to hide. There's this idea of hiding. There's this deal of shame. Like, whoa, 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 what are you, what are you, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? And so the Lord, even in his, his sovereignty, he provides for them a covering in the garden. Well, I must say this. Um, the well-being of marriage is determined by whether a man and a woman are reflecting God's image in their individual roles. 100%, 100%. If you're single, functioning in God's gifting for you in this area of your life, because why? Once the mirror, remember I talked about we ought to be a mirror reflecting, once this mirror is shattered or even cracked, the reflection of the relationship that it's supposed to reflect is no longer there. And it's, in essence, it's distorted. You don't see the whole picture, and that's what our culture is seeing today. What would happen if crossroads, our marriages began to become more robust? I'm preaching to myself. What would happen if men, we really begin to serve our wives? Not from a narcissistic way on what am I giving? I love this from the marriage conference, but rather what am I giving? Like what would happen in our singleness if we begin to serve and even uh, long to come alongside of other couples and maybe be mentored, maybe for the future if God desires to give you a spouse, if you will. Maybe it's just, hey, look, man, what, what's my role? How can I reflect the glory of God? Well, the purpose is the family union is to be an engine to showcase God's love, grace, and sacrificial love. It's funny because it's all based upon God's promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head or crush your head. Jesus will crush your head. Oh, yeah, by the way, you shall, you'll, you'll bruise his heel. When you look at the cross, here are a couple of takeaways. The point of marriage is not to make you happy by finding perfect romance, that's not the point, but to make you holy by teaching you and I to love like Jesus. It's like literally, gospel level. I have to get out of the way. I'm gonna tell y'all, this is what I'm saying. You can't love your spouse properly if the Spirit of God is not leading you. I, I, can, I can't. As your pastor, I'm saying this. Mandy, she'll be in the second hour. I, I'm gonna say the same thing. I cannot lead her a long day in the office me driving in the woodlands. By the time I get to, to the house, I'm like, man, I just want to sit down and chill. No, that's when I rev up. I should be able to walk in the house and say, babe, how can I serve you? Maybe the girls have been crazy that day. She, she's not looking for me to fix it. Because men, we like to fix it. Okay, babe, I'm going to get, hey, girls, what's going on? What happened? No, no, she didn't look for that. She just wanted me to live in her world, sympathize. Say, hey, you know, babe, I'm sorry that, I'm sorry the kids acted that way today. 
How can I take some, some pressure? How can I relieve? Man, kick your feet up. But that takes the Spirit of God to do it. Secondly, don't squander one blessing by covenanting, if you will, another one. So idolatry, looking over the fence. But even in singleness, if singleness is a gift, don't covenant, don't covet trying to be married. And then married, don't try to covet trying to be with somebody else. We see this in Scripture, David. Y'all know the rest of the story. Because what happens, we begin to substitute God's gift, the gift he gives to us, we substitute it for him. And then lastly, marriage is a shadow of something greater, the picture of the gospel. Picture of the gospel. Jesus, his love for the church, sacrificing his life for the church, laying down his life for the church, for you and I, that's the greater picture. That people can look at your marriage and say, there must be a God out there. There's, there's a real reality and tangible, um, sovereign handprint on biblical marriages. People can see your love, your patience, your kindness, your, 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 your sacrificial love, your, I mean, joy in your marriage. I know these are seasoned things. They, they come in time, I know. There's times when it's more than others. I understand that. But church, let me say this. When Jesus is at the center of your, of your marriage, great things can happen. You say, Marcus, my marriage is on the rocks. I want to make this last thought. I love this because tandem, we heard this, and I thought, that's, that's brilliant. If you know much about the, the couple that hosted the marriage conference, Star, she made mention she was in counseling. Their marriage was pretty much done. She walked out on them or on, uh, on, on the husband. Started getting into some other things. Sitting down with her counselor and the counselor pretty much looked at her after all the stuff she was saying. Looked at her and said, hey, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in that? Do you believe that God raised his son from the dead? Oh, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, I, oh, yeah of course. She's a Christian at this point. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, I've studied in Bible at Sunday school. Oh, yeah, I don't believe that. No, he said, no, no, no. Do you believe? Do you believe that God physically rose in bodily form, Jesus' his son? And she said, in that moment, it just dawned on her. What dawned on her? The same God that can resurrect his son can resurrect a marriage. The same God. The same God. So, Lord, in this moment, we just want to say thank you. We love you. We see your blueprint. We see that there's a bullseye. We see your redemptive plan. Lord, I just pray that as this series progresses, that as married couples, we can be more honest with one another. We'll own our stuff as we're going to look at later in this series not pointing fingers we can learn how to fight well communication or communicating at a high level showing sacrificial love but Lord I pray that we will desire to submit our desires and wills to you because then and only then will we see you work and move in a mighty way So what would happen, Lord, at the end of this series? 
We had a few couples in the church that say, look, we want to renew our vows. How cool would that be? As they've watched and witnessed the Spirit of God moving and working in their hearts and their lives. They say, look, man, yes, it's been rocky, but you know what? I'm committed to you. I love you. And with God's help, yes, he raised his son from the dead. I believe he can even raise our marriage back to where it needs to be. What would happen? How beautiful would that be? Lord, will you even do that? But until then, I pray right now that some spouses, if you want to grab your spouse's hand and just come kneel at the altar and say, uh, at the, at the, just really out of the gate, I want to just be, I want to let you know that I'm here for you. I love you. I'm committed to you. And I'm in this for the long haul. So maybe that's you. Maybe right now. Come on. If, they, if you just want to grab your spouse, come pray. Come pray. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. But hey, this is the health of the family, the health of the church. And the ripple effect is just the same. Even impacting the whole nation. We want to impact Capitol Hill, but we can't even impact our homes. We want to change the culture, but our homes are in shambles. Is there any other couples? Say, look, hey, yeah, I just want to just, right now, I just want to, I just want to come and lay, yeah, we're together. We're in this together. We're on the same team. So, Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this series. Thank you for all that you're doing. Please move in a mighty way from this day forward and not towards the, just for the end of the series, but just totally in the, in the life of this church. May your spirit dwell in our homes, in our marriages, in this church without rival. It's in your name we pray. Amen.